the murder trial of james sullivan by anonymous from the new york times september twenty fourth eighteen fifty one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org and terminer tuesday before chief justice edmonds alderman kelly and chapman the court met at ten a m the district attorney called on the case of antoine lopez indicted for the murder of michael foster fourth ward policeman james m smith jr applied for a postponement of the trial of the prisoner on account of the absence of witnesses the district attorney said his only objection to this course was that he had three witnesses in close confinement who could not give security one of them had a wife in great distress the court ordered fifty dollars to be paid to the witness sanders for the support of his wife the case then went off for the term caution to jurors the clerk having called the panel of jurors and thirty-five not answering to their names the chief justice said that although he was reluctant to impose the fine of twenty-five dollars every day as it would amount to something serious yet he should go on and do so as he was determined to have the assistance of the intelligent citizens whose names were in the jury box the general impression was that a juryman was only liable to pay one fine of twenty-five dollars when the fact was he was liable for every day he stayed away from his duty during the sitting of the court the case of angelo squarza indicted for the spruce street murder the district attorney moved that three witnesses for the prosecution be put under recognizances and stated that a fourth witness had gone away which compelled him to postpone trial until next term the district attorney moved in the case of james sullivan indicted for the murder of edward smith on the tenth of august last at a house in cliff street the prisoner a man about thirty-five years of age of the appearance of an ordinary working man short in stature and a native of ireland was put to the bar the hon robert h morris and mr buckley appeared to defend the prisoner the district attorney and mr hall for the people twelve jurors were called and took their seats when mr morris challenged seven of those peremptorily they having served on the panel which tried mulvey the eighth who had also sat on that case was excused by consent and a ninth challenged peremptorily a mr bailey on being challenged for favor said he had formed an opinion of the case from reading a report of the coroner's inquest the juror was examined by the court and severely reprehended for forming an opinion on a newspaper version of the case the juror said in his defense that his opinion was not so firmly rooted but that it could be removed by evidence and he would try the prisoner according to the evidence adduced mr morris offered to withdraw the challenge but the district attorney renewed the challenge the chief justice read the law as settled in the supreme court in the case of the people versus mather in the fourth of wendell mr bailey was disqualified according to that decision to which morris for the prisoner accepted a juror who had sat on the trial of clark for murder was challenged peremptorily by mr morris as also five other jurors making in all thirteen peremptorily one was excused on account of having conscientious scruples against capital punishment the following jurors were then sworn in the usual way to try the prisoner one washington m thwarman two l d burdett three david delancey four john chassel five william h brooks six george bacon seven alexander s colbert eight william c lehman nine richard mortimer ten jason mccann eleven peter w Steele, twelve john allison 
the district attorney briefly opened the case for the prosecution the prisoner at the bar was indicted for the murder of edward smith on sunday night at number four cliff street about one o'clock p m that house is a two-story brick house having an attic it is partially occupied by a mrs ferris as a boarding house the deceased was a boarder and occupied a room in the upper story the prisoner with his family occupied the back room in the second story with his wife and child and a cousin they were not boarders but had that portion of the house on the sunday alluded to the deceased was sitting upstairs with a friend when he heard a noise as of the breaking of furniture or dishes from the room of the prisoner the deceased went to the room a scuffle ensued and although the deceased had interfered to protect the wife yet in accordance with the old adage she turned upon the intruder and in the scuffle which ensued among them the deceased received two wounds one of which proved fatal in less than an hour the police have been sent for previously and came about the time of the fatal blow but could not find the knife although they found a piece of cloth with which it had been wiped frederick g leroy m d by district attorney i am a surgeon of the new york city hospital on a sunday in august last was called to cliff street to make a post-mortem examination found two smooth-edged wounds both inflicted with a sharp knife one on the left shoulder one in the groin the former about four inches in depth one inch in length which laid the bone bare it was done with a sharp pointed instrument it narrowed as it went in the serious wound was in the left groin it was four inches in depth about two inches in length it had divided the principal branch of the main artery at the limb there was also a wound at the femoral vein a mere puncture it had been caused by the same instrument but turned and made larger the cause of death was the large loss of blood from the artery and vein thus wounded by the jury the wound on the shoulder might have been made either from behind or before the deceased the wound in the groin must have been from the outside eliza h ferris by district attorney i lived in cliff street last august took the whole house myself kept three rooms myself and let others the second story was let mrs sullivan had the back room mrs martin the front mrs sullivan did not board with me edward smith boarded with me between four and five weeks he was a quiet sober man on the day he was killed i was at home giving the men their dinner on the first floor mr brennan mr welch mr fitzgerald and mccabe my husband was at home with our two sons two small children and four other persons during the dinner i heard a noise of something breaking upstairs i applied to one of the men at dinner and he went upstairs it was fitzgerald i said i'd go up myself to make peace i met sullivan's wife at her own door outside on the landing about the breadth of two boards i saw sullivan and spoke to his wife saying go in and make peace in the name of god she said go in and i went sullivan had a small weapon of the substance of a small poker in his left hand he was breaking some things on the table crockery ware he was alone i told him if he did not respect himself he must respect me he raised his hand and slapped me with his right hand on the cheek then my husband called me downstairs sullivan said nothing to me but his wife told him not to hurt mrs ferris i then went down to my own room and stood by the door could not see the door of sullivan's room the next i heard was smith came downstairs with his hand to his side he came into the dining room and said he was stabbed and was going before his god mr morris objected to the evidence of what the deceased had said the court decided it to be proper and mr morris accepted by the district attorney 
That was all I heard Smith say. He died in about ten or twelve minutes. I had not seen him from bedtime the night previous until I saw him come down with his hand to his side. This was on Sunday about one o'clock. I had not heard the voice of Smith, but I heard a noise on the landing near Sullivan's room, the same as jostling, and heard the breaking of things as before. It might have been half an hour or three quarters the scuffling was going on, but I was in such a frightened tremor that I could not tell what was doing. Smith had blood about his person all over, and blood also on the stairs. Some person went for an officer. I sent my own son before Smith was stabbed and after I came downstairs. Saw no officers downstairs until Smith was stabbed, and Captain Leonard was the first one that came. I went up in person along with the officer. The room Sullivan was in was locked, and his wife was outside. I told the officer to break open the door, and then Mrs. Sullivan gave the key to the policeman. I believe his name was Sullivan also. The policeman went into the room and seized the prisoner, Sullivan. I stood at the door. He, the prisoner, was standing in the jamb of the door, or close by, on the left side where the lock is. I can't say what the prisoner said. The weapon I spoke of was of iron, about the size of a poker, for the grate of a stove. The counsel for the prisoner declined the cross-examination of the witness for the present. Mary Moran examined. I am first cousin to the prisoner and board in his family, consisted of his wife and two small children. In August last, I know Smith. On the Sunday spoken of, we were about sitting down to dinner when the little girl of Sullivan's asked him for some money. He said he had none. His wife replied that he was able to spend his money himself. He said nothing but turned round and began to break the things. His wife began to cry, and then Mrs. Ferris came up from below stairs. I saw him take the skimmer from the wall to break the things, and I told him not to break the things any more. He took up his hand and gave me a slap here, pointing to her shoulder. When he gave me the slap, I took the baby and carried it into the front room. It was two months old at that time. I then heard Smith coming, but don't know if he came from the garret or not. I heard him say it was a shame to be breaking more of the dishes. At that time, he was standing alone near the wall, and Mrs. Sullivan was at the front room door. Smith said that Sullivan was no decent man. Sullivan said that he had a right to do as he minded with his own. Smith said that for the next thing he broke, he would have to suffer. No sooner had Smith said the words than the prisoner began to break more things, and Smith took hold of him by the hair and slapped his face. The prisoner also took hold of Smith, and they scuffled outside the door, having each other by the hair of their head. They were thus pulling and slapping each other, when Mr. Martin came out of the front room and I went in, she shutting the door on me and shutting Mrs. Sullivan out, and then I did not see anything until after Smith was stabbed. I next heard Smith cry, murder, he was killed. He said this going down the stairs. Mrs. Sullivan was outside. I remained outside. When Smith took hold of Sullivan, Mrs. Sullivan took hold of Smith by the hair of his head. After Smith was wounded and Sullivan taken by the police, Mrs. Sullivan handed me a knife. It was a pen knife, not very large. It was not open, could not say how large. I put it in a bag in the back room. The court here suggested the propriety of the jury viewing the scene of the murder, and for this purpose took a recess. Evening Session Mary Moran recalled by the district attorney. I think the knife I spoke of had a dark handle. I do not recollect seeing a rag which had blood on it. I do not know where the bag was, but think it hung up in the closet. Mrs. Sullivan was in the room. The knife was not like the one now produced, as I think the handle was larger. I do not remember of any rags having blood except the cravat that Sullivan had on. 
It was like the one now produced, which he had on at the station house. Mr. Morris declined asking the witness any questions. Richard Brennan, examined by the district attorney. On the 10th August last, I boarded with Mrs. Ferris in Cliff Street. I knew Edward Smith from his boarding there, occupied the same room with him, the front floor on the third story. I was with him on the Sunday he was killed. We were sitting in the bedroom. He was just dressing himself in a clean shirt, had no coat on. I had taken my dinner. I believe he had black cloth pants on. When I was eating my dinner, I heard a noise in Sullivan's room. It sounded like breaking of crockery ware and a great muss between a man and his wife. Heard the noise going up, and after we had got up, it was like the breaking of furniture. Smith asked me what was the matter of Sullivan. I said that Sullivan and his wife were quarreling, and Smith said when he went down he would try and settle it. He went down and stood across the jamb of the door with his hands folded. Mrs. Sullivan was in the opposite room. Smith said it was a shame to be making such a row on the Sabbath day. He had a sober wife and ought not to be going on so. Sullivan replied he had a right to be doing as he liked in his own place. I was on the same landing as they were at that time. Just at the moment that Sullivan said he had a right to do as he liked, Smith went into the room, and I remonstrated with Sullivan, telling him it was a shame to be breaking things. Things appeared then to be a little quieter, and I told Mrs. Sullivan I thought all would be quiet, and I went out to get some matches. When I came up, Mrs. Sullivan was crying, and I advised her to go and hide herself. I believe she did so. I went up to my own room, and then I heard a scuffling, and looking down I saw the prisoner and the deceased lying across the jamb of the door, half in and half out. Another boarder came up, and Smith kept telling the prisoner not to pull his shirt about, and Mrs. Sullivan then came out of the front room and began clawing the deceased. Mary Moran then came out with the child on one arm and assisted in clawing the deceased. He had a very valuable watch, and I was afraid it might disengage it from his neck. After they were separated, the two women kept clawing and tearing him, and Sullivan came out of his room and struck him a slap on the face. The deceased then became very angry and made a blow, but whether he struck the prisoner I cannot say. At this time Mrs. Ferris came upstairs, caught hold of my trousers, and besought me to go down, and I did so. A few minutes after this, Smith came down with his shirt torn. I said, for God's sake, do not go up again. He persisted in going up, but asked who had his watch. I said I had. He said all right. I begged of him not to go up. I thought to terrify him from going up by telling him to look out for the knife. A few moments after, he came downstairs and said, I'm stabbed, I'm killed. He was bleeding in the most horrible manner. I don't suppose ten seconds had elapsed. He had only eight stairs to go up, and I heard it as soon as he got up. It must have been the moment he reached the landing that he received the blow. I cannot tell who was at the head of that flight of stairs. I heard Smith say nothing more than that. I'm dead. I'm stabbed. I'm stabbed. I heard somebody else give a kind of ball, some kind of noise. It was principally a man's voice. Smith came into the room where we used to eat our meals, laid down on the floor, and died. I saw a wound on the shoulder near the arm and one in the groin. I saw his pantaloons afterwards, the same as now produced. Here a pair of pantaloons were exhibited to the jury, which had been evidently saturated with blood and a cut on the left side. The shirt was covered over the body of Smith after his death, which accounted for the blood on it. I remained in the hall after the death of Smith, and the first officer that came in, I delivered up the watch to him. The next man that came was an officer, and they asked where the murderer was. I said upstairs, and they went up, and I saw them no more until they brought the prisoner through the hall. He said nothing. The prisoner's room was on the left hand, 
and a person going to the room would receive a blow on the left. I was at the foot of the stairs trying to dissuade Smith from going upstairs, and I heard the prisoner's voice as if from the landing. I am certain I did see him as well as hear his voice. By Morris. When Smith asked who had his watch, and I told him, he was about four steps up the first flight of stairs towards the room of the prisoner. James Welsh, by District Attorney. I lived at number 4 Cliff Street in August last. I knew Edward Smith and was at home the day of his death. On that day, he was not in at dinner. Heard Smith remonstrate with Sullivan on the folly of breaking the little things. Smith went to go down to dinner, and Sullivan went back to the room to break the things. Smith followed in. They clenched and rolled on the ground. The women then came and helped Sullivan. They had a struggle, and Sullivan ran toward the cupboard in his room. They had been outside before this. I ran downstairs, because I was afraid of a small pistol which Sullivan had used the 4th of July, and I was afraid I might be the victim. Next, I met Smith coming downstairs with his shirt torn. He gave it to me and turned back to Sullivan. I followed him and saw Sullivan meet him on the lobby, and I don't think two seconds had elapsed before Smith turned round and said, I'm stabbed. He came down and the blood was spouting over him, which made a young woman faint, and he came into the dining room where he died. He was laid on his back by Mr. Ferris, who was giving him a glass of water. I said there's some on the bureau, but finding he was losing his swallow, I went up to Dr. Henry, and when I came back, I found the policeman at the door and Sullivan taken off. When I got in, I went with the officer to the room of Sullivan and found a number of pen knives in the closet, which the officer took possession of. I saw a rag in the hands of a policeman, which had blood on it. At the time they were struggling, Smith had Sullivan by the hair, and he had Smith by the shirt, who was endeavoring to get loose from the woman. I could not say that Smith struck any blow or that he didn't. He was not in a position to strike a blow. Cross-examined. I was below Smith, and he was between me and Sullivan, about five steps between us. I took hold of Sullivan once to endeavor to loosen him away from Smith, as I knew he would not follow up the thing. By the district attorney. Smith was a looking-glass and picture-frame maker, and sometimes worked in a shipyard. By Mr. Buckley. I think there was an unfriendly feeling between Smith and Sullivan before this. By the district attorney. On the Saturday before this, I met Smith, and he asked me to go with him, and he would introduce me to a namesake. We went together to a public house where Sullivan came in, and Smith said, Mr. Sullivan's going to stand around for us all. Sullivan said, it ought to be his turn on the double. Smith then began to joke Sullivan as to which had the most money, and he went out and brought in a book with $35 in it. After he had counted it, his wife waited outside for the money. Sullivan indicated ill temper at the time, but was under the influence of drink. John L. O'Sullivan, one of the second ward police, examined by the district attorney. I was the first officer at the house on the day that Smith was killed. A son of Mrs. Ferris came to me at the station house and I went down. On going in, I said I was a policeman. I found the passage full of people, and on going into the basement, I saw a man lying on his back. He was alive. On returning into the hall, I met the witness, who had the watch of Smith, and he gave it up to me. As it was dark, someone said he would go up with me. We went up and saw the prisoner's wife standing by the door. I asked her to open it. She said she had not the key. I said I would break open the door and put my foot against it when she gave me the key. Sullivan was standing by the table convenient to the door. I immediately endeavored to secure his hands, and Officer Klein, who had followed on, immediately took hold on the other side. We searched his person, but found nothing. He did not say anything. 
we could find no knife and took him to the station house on the way there he became very ugly and wanted me to let go of him i asked him where the knife was to which he replied that he had the knife and he would not be going so easily i took him to the station house and locked him up at which he got excited and requested me to knock him on the head and kill him i then returned to the house and searched the place for the knife but could find none i saw a rag with marks of blood upon it as if a man had wiped the blood off his finger on it the room was in great disorder furniture and crockery laying about the room and knives and forks saw none with blood on them by mr buckley i am sure the prisoner in his answer to me referred to the knife with which smith had been stabbed he also told me in the cells that he didn't stab smith and didn't know who did officer klein of the second ward was examined and corroborated the testimony of the last witness as to the arrest of the prisoner i asked him how he came to kill the man he said if you had been placed under like circumstances you'd have done the same john donnelly examined i am one of the police and proceeded to search the house did not find anything until after sullivan had been taken away then we found a small penknife we also found a number of penknives also a rag which lay there there was blood on it and we carried it to the station house rag now produced i did not observe any marks or bruises about the prisoner he made a statement to me in his cell at the station house i asked him how came the blood on this rag mr morris objected to this testimony but was overruled district attorney what was his reply to your question about the blood on the rag witness he said he was cleaning a table knife i said what he would not make any answer it was about an hour after he was arrested the knife found on mrs sullivan had no blood on it that i could see james leonard examined i am captain of the second ward police and was so on august last i went to sullivan's house on the occasion referred to i went into the room where the body was the man was not dead the other officers just then arrested sullivan and the women were taken into custody after that we made a search for the knife in the room and all the adjacent rooms the condition of the room was chairs upset cups and saucers on the floor the dinner was on the table boiled leg of mutton i think and i saw a small poker bent at the end i think that was found outside the door the wounds could not have been inflicted with that everything about the man was such a gore of blood that we could not tell exactly where the wound was i spoke to him but he was too far gone to reply there were marks of blood on the stairs the prisoner was a good deal excited from liquor and had a black eye but i could not tell when he got it for the defense margaret martin examined by mr morris i live in cliff street in the house of mrs ferris on the day of this affray i was in my own room with my child when my door was pushed open and mrs sullivan entered with mary moran and mr sullivan had hold of his eldest child i asked what was the matter mrs ferris told me sullivan had struck her i told mary moran to stay in my room lest anything should happen to the child i saw sullivan and spoke to him he said his wife had abused him said he would go out and drink more smith then came down words passed between him and sullivan smith said something and the other asked if he called him a blackguard smith said no but he was a ruffian and a ruffian was a man who destroyed his property and who proved it in the street there was a scuffle after this the two men had hold of each other and mrs sullivan took hold of smith and said do not kill my husband i turned into my room and saw nothing for a long time saw mrs sullivan rush upstairs and smith after her clutching her by the pole and pulling her down on her back cross-examined told the officers i did not know anything of it as i did not wish to appear in court i had a sister with me that day 
She was downstairs. She might have fainted and me not know it. I went out on the landing at the time. Smith ran to prevent the prisoner breaking the things. I saw them have hold of each other. Did not hear Smith call out that he was stabbed. I did not know that Smith was stabbed until two hours after he was dead. They said the doctor had hopes of him. At the time my husband opened the door, he said Smith was stabbed. John Martin, examined by Mr. Morris. The last witness is my wife. I was out walking with my sister-in-law at the time of the occurrence spoken of, came home and was through the hall going upstairs when I heard a voice, and Smith came down all over blood, crying, I'm stabbed. He had a wound in his shoulder. I went into my own room and locked the doors, and in a few minutes Mrs. Sullivan came and asked admittance. I refused to let her in, but my wife interfered for her, and I let her in. Did not see Sullivan at that time. By the district attorney. When I saw Mrs. Sullivan, she was trying to fasten her own door. It strikes me my door was locked, and that I went in and locked it from behind. Catherine Cullen, examined by Mr. Morris. I reside with the last witness, was out walking with him that day. When we came home, he went upstairs, and I into the dining room. Smith brushed past me. By the district attorney. I did not sit down, but went into the middle of the room and asked if my sister was there. I was told no, and left. Smith came down and said he was stabbed. Mary Moran, recalled by the court. I did not know that the package of knives were in the house. I did not put a knife in my bosom. I never put a knife in my bosom. I know Mrs. Foster. She is the lady who opens the gate for me at the tombs. Here Mr. Morris said he wished to have Mrs. Foster here, as there was a rumor that she had found a knife in Mary's bosom. The district attorney said he had heard the same rumor, but it turned out to be untrue. The case here closed on both sides, and Mr. Morris summed up for the prisoner admitting that Smith was killed as charged, but that the evidence went to show that the wife and sister of the prisoner were equally as guilty as he was. The learned gentleman made an eloquent appeal to the jury to acquit the prisoner. The district attorney closed the case for the people, contending that it was a case of willful murder and that the evidence was conclusive of the guilt of the prisoner. The chief justice charged the jury on the law and the facts of the case, the jury retired at nine o'clock and in three quarters of an hour returned into court, having found the prisoner guilty of murder. He manifested no emotion of guilt or surprise at the result. The jury were polled at the request of the prisoner's counsel, and all answered in the affirmative. The district attorney said he should defer the trial of the poisoning case, which required considerable investigation, until next term. The persons were then discharged, and the court adjourned to Saturday at ten o'clock. End of The Murder Trial of James Sullivan by Anonymous Read by Colleen McMahon